Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers, and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC Movie Rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Thank you. Three decades ago, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers captured my imagination. Like many of my fellow 90s kids, I watched after school, joined the official fan club, and of course, collected the toys. Eventually, I put those toys away, but the flame of my Power Rangers fandom never died. Now, in this milestone 30th anniversary year, I am re-examining the show, its legacy, and the tale of its most legendary ranger across media. It's time to get... Back to action. Welcome to Summoning the Zords, a Power Rangers fan journey. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss year one of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers comic book series from Boom Studios is the host of the Krypton Report podcast, Tyler Patrick. Tyler, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm glad that we're talking Power Rangers again. Like, it's just, it's refreshing. (laughs) Yeah, man. And you say again, I have to thank you for having me on your Patreon show probably a few months ago now. And yeah. we talked about our, our respective histories with the Power Rangers franchise. And, you know, I had been kicking around the idea of doing this podcast for a while. Uh, and so I didn't need a huge push. But uh, having that conversation was was one of the last, you know, the last little pieces uh, before I was like, OK, I have to move forward and do this because I just had so much fun talking about Power Rangers. You're like, you were like, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it, and what's funny is it started like the discussion. I wanted to talk Power Rangers, okay? But nobody I knew followed the Power Rangers the way that I did. And then it was in one of your episodes, you're talking about Ruby Spears, and you mentioned an off comment you said about Power Rangers. And I was like, oh. So then I messaged you and we had a little quick chit chat. So when I had that idea for that episode, I was like, Anthony, you want to do this with me? Yeah, of of course. Now, I mean, I know this because of the conversation we have, but for our audience here, what what is your your overall history with the franchise? I guess specifically, which iterations or or seasons of the show uh, did you watch back in the day? Well, okay, so yeah, we we did this before on my show. It's time to do it here. I of course fell in love when I first. I remember seeing that first um, preview trailer for the show. It was on. And what's funny is that actually had footage that didn't make it into the regular pilot of like them standing there. And like, and then they did where like, if you remember, like they're standing there and be like, Trini, you will be a saber tooth. And like, it shows her like face. And then she turns into an actual tiger and then the yellow ranger. And I remember seeing this with my brother and I got super excited. I'm like, what is this? And then it came out and I remember watching it early in the morning. And then after school, because I remember being up before going to school and watching some, and then it's like, and then it started playing after school. And I mean, it was, that was it. Like if you weren't into Power Rangers, you, you sucked. 
I mean, <laughs> all the kids played at recess and, you know, me and my friends would play and we got to the point where everyone fucked. Everybody wanted to be Jason. They're like, I'm the Red Ranger Jason. And my favorite color is blue. My favorite dinosaur is a Triceratops. So I was like, okay, I'm the Blue Ranger. That's cool. Billy was an interesting character. He eventually evolved into a really great character. Uh, but, you know, he was the prototypical, stereotypical, really nerdy person. But that was the character that I liked. And I always played it because no one wanted to be the Blue Ranger. I was like, I'll, I'll be the Blue Ranger. Um, and then my friends actually made up their own Power Rangers because they had to have some character to play. And then, of course, when Tommy showed up, everybody in the world was like, Tommy the Green Ranger. Um, but I remember that Halloween, uh, people going making their own ranger costumes because they weren't, they didn't make any. There weren't any to buy that year. And, you know, I followed Power Rangers and, and was with it through the Zordon era. Uh, I watched all of Mighty Morphin into the Alien, which I was just considered part of Mighty Morphin, but it technically wasn't. Um, Zeo got a little rocky just because of life. Um, busy, do you know? Um, but Zeo was good. Turbo was not good. I didn't go see the Turbo movie because it just looked bad. But I remember my grandma rented it for me and I watched it and it was just bad. And then I watched in space, um, because space was good. And I remember when I started watching space, you know, because every <clears throat> every male of our generation had a crush on Kimberly. That was uh, the big thing. And I remember watching in space like, hello, Yellow Ranger. Look, this might be a good show. Let's watch this now. <laughs> and, uh, um, and then I watched it and, I, you know, space concluded with like just bringing everything full circle with Zordon closing that arc, that loop of like the story that started with Rita with Zed, it built on the mythology. And then after that, like I didn't follow it. Um, I would, you know, here and there things, but then it got just to be a lot because they started reusing certain phrasing styles. Like there's been like three or four dinosaur iterations. And then the company was bought and sold between Nickelodeon, Disney, Saban and now Hasbro has it so it got really hard to follow and but you know Mighty Morphin always had that that strong pull and is a great part of my childhood I mean I could go on with memories of stuff that happened you know um, playing the the movie video game was awesome I saw the White Ranger well, it was an actor I don't know, as the White Ranger came to McDonald's from a tour for the movie there by the military base. He was in the movie costume. Um, so, I mean, I got tons of stories of just living in that, you know, where you started like my friend and I would come home, walk home from the bus stop and then all of a sudden just toss our backpacks in the yard and think we're fighting putties. <laughs> like She'd just be like, putties. Um, you know, then you stand yourself all of a sudden dressing in solid colors, going to school. I had a yin yang necklace because of Tommy. I had no idea what a yin yang was, but Tommy wore one. <laughs> so, you know, it, it was very influential. And uh, the last thing I'll say is, like I've said to you before, is like, do you ever just, you know, you're walking around one day and you reach behind your back and then looking for your power morph and you realize it's not there. And then you realize you're a 30 some year old man walking around like, what, what are you what are you doing, dude? 
Like, what do you do? Why, why are you still pretending like you're a Power Ranger? Your kids aren't even around. You can't even use that as an excuse. <laughs> gotcha. No, it's awesome to hear you lay all of that out. And even in Mighty Morphin, just, you know, history with the characters is like, because I, I also, you know, I dove into learning about Super Sente as much as I could. I had a previous family relative uh, we won't talk about, but he was huge into it and he taught me a lot too. And, <clears throat> you know, I still find it fascinating for any of those listeners who don't realize that when they changed the Zords and they became the Thunder Zords and the White Ranger, that was all from a different series that they never went back and used the other color Ranger suits. So that series, they used their Zords and they used the White Ranger, which in that series was a child. Yes. And there's certain shots of the White Ranger you can tell. Um but they never use like the red ranger, the pink ranger, any of the other colored rangers from that run. And, and then after, you know, they tried to do that as much as they could by, that's why they did the alien rangers that eventually they were just like, we're just going to make it clean. And they did Zeo and turbo and stopped trying to like incorporate it and everything. And then, like I told you before, for Zeo was actually supposed to stand for Zordon of Eltar's Odyssey. Oh, right, right. Yeah. So that I always thought that was cool. Like just little things that you pick up on and just feel like there was a really tight mythology in the early seasons. And then when they got into like the later specials, like the Forever Red and stuff like that, they just tossed everything out the window. It just became fan service. It didn't make sense anymore. And all of a sudden, Jason shows up with the red morpher, and you're like, "Bro, last time we saw you, you was the gold Zeo, and the and the and those powers had been destroyed. Mm-hmm. How, how how does this work? I know that's tough to reconcile. Maybe there are some some Uber fans out there who can explain this for us. But yeah, we'll eventually get there on the podcast. This episode made possible in part by educator, hobby comic book collector, and pop culture enthusiast Sam Lim. Sam just moved to the South Jersey area and is looking to connect with other comics fans as well as retailers. They are also looking for comic shops to explore, so recommendations are welcome. Be sure to follow Sam on Instagram at SZLComics. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The J. Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. So now... We make our way over to the Boom Studios comics, and specifically the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers series. And for this episode, we read the first year's worth. We read issues 0 through 12. 
collected in uh, three different uh, trade paperback volumes. I actually have a friend of mine very generously gifted me the deluxe edition hardcover. I saw that picture. I thought that was cool. It's gorgeous. It was crazy because I was looking at it and I was like, man, this is, you know, it's only 13 issues. I was like, this feels like very hefty. I don't know, a, a significant portion of it it is is devoted to all of the covers and variant covers specifically. And they're gorgeous and they're great to look. I mean, they're presented very beautifully in that. So uh, it was uh, it was great to read it in that way. I love the covers that use like the flip head toys. That was like the toy <laughs> packaging. And of course, you have one cover like that. You have to do one for every Ranger. So, yeah. Now, am I correct here that, like myself, you are a late convert to these comics? Or had you read them before? I read the first issue when it came out. I bought that one. And I wanted to do the whole thing. And then I read... Then it's like, they did this run. But then they started like rebooting it again. And it got to be a lie... And then I decided to kind of go back when you and I were talking and start reading it from the beginning. I just got all the trades from the library and just sat down and was reading the whole, the whole run that the boom studios did. Um, And I, it's just one of those, you know, there's a lot of great comics and like you and I were talking is it gets very hard sometimes to read things because there's so much, but then if you're going to buy it, the cost just goes up so quickly and it was just one of those things that fell through the cracks that i just didn't get back around to yeah i'm well i'm glad that you were able to make use of the library and read them that way uh, like i said a friend gave me this hardcover i plan on reading the remaining uh boom studios comics through comiXology unlimited i'll do the subscription and and kind of blow through everything that way uh so what we read was written by kyle higgins and drawn by and please forgive me if i'm mispronouncing this which i almost certainly am hendry Prasetya, and I mean, just, yeah, well, let me say this. I don't feel like we need to go, you know, we don't need to go issue by issue or really have our conversation shaped, you know, just by the the plot beats of this. You know, we can kind of jump around and talk more about the characters and themes of all of this and, and see where the conversation takes us. I mean, I suspect, because again, we are latecomers to this, I suspect, especially if you're a Power Rangers fan, um, you know, people probably have have read these. I know we're a little bit late to the game here. Uh, there will be spoilers. I suppose the identity of Lord Draken would be the biggest spoiler, which we will be getting into over the course of this. Again, though, even if you're a Power Rangers fan and like us, you haven't read these or you hadn't read these. Uh, they've been around you, long enough that I feel like it's like we're not spoiling that loose Daz Darth Vader. Okay. Like, yeah, exactly. It's been it's around. Been, it's been known for a long enough. Yes. Uh, so, uh, but on the off chance that, you know, you haven't read these comics and you're saving them and you've somehow avoided being spoiled, you know, maybe save this episode, but, uh, I'm so excited well, he, to get into this. I was gonna say, here's my spoiler free, just take. And then if you want to turn the episode off, you can, if you like powers and you even like comics, read these because they do such a great job of capturing the spirit of the show and who these characters are, because one thing that you and I talked about briefly was like when they did the reboot movie it's, and it was kind of like, who are these characters besides the stereotypes of like the white guy, the nerd, the cheerleaders, like who are these actual characters other than these one dimensions? Um, I feel like these comics have been able to actually capture that, but expand it. So when I read this, I'm like, okay, that is Jason or that is Tommy or that is Billy as they grow compared to, you know, watching the movie, the 2017 movie, 
and being like, is this really Jason? Like, does this feel like Jason? Um, and also it builds the world more of details that as a kid, we may not have asked, like, where do the Zords go? What do they look like on the, in-? so all that is brought to life that I just highly recommend you check these out. Um, Listen, that's, that's my two cents, man. I echo all of that. And I've talked about this on my Superman show, digging for kryptonite. I know you've heard this where, you know, typically I've, I've always had a bit of an aversion to comic book adaptations or continuations of, of television shows or movies. Hard to really say why, but a lot of times they haven't grabbed me and that's changed recently. You know, the Superman 78 comic book miniseries just so made me feel like I was in the world of the Richard Donner Superman movies that I was able to get into it. Um, so I think that helped prime me for this because I was, I was here for this and it was not to, you know, not to, not to be hyperbolic, but this was everything that I had heard it was and that I was hoping it would be where to your point, it really felt like you were back in the world of the show and with the characters and I could hear the actors voices as I was reading, which is always, you know, a test or maybe even the test. Of course, it's been updated, right? It's not, it doesn't take place in the 90s. So it, it has that contemporary modern feel, but you're still back in the world and the mythology of, of the show. And most importantly, and building off of what you were saying, it just adds all of these layers. And, you know, clearly Kyle Higgins is, was a fan of this. And that, that just comes through because as you're reading it, it's like, oh, all these questions that you might've had, or maybe that you didn't even think to have, you know, all of these things are coming up and it, it was just absolutely fascinating. I, you know, again, I, I'm kicking myself for not reading them sooner, but I'm glad that we got here now and man, they were good. I always just say this for anyone who complains about the destruction in Man of Steel <laughs> has never really thought about the destruction that a Zord battle in Power Rangers causes. A hundred percent. That's all, that's all I'm saying is like, and cause that's, that's mess, messed up stuff. It is. And, you know, in the last episode with uh, I had Chris Wilcock on, we talked about, again, a bunch of those Green Ranger episodes, uh, like Green No More and Green Candle. And you know, one of the things we talked about there was, like, what exactly is Tommy's deal? You know, he, he moves there. There's uh, an episode where there's Parents Day, and we see all the other Rangers' parents, but not Tommy's. Um, after he loses his powers for the final time, he, like, goes off to his uncle's cabin, like, in the middle of the school year or something. And we were talking about, like, what is this guy's deal? He just comes and goes. Does he have a family? Like, what, what, you know, what's going on? It's the 90s, man. Yeah, I guess. But, That's you know, how it was. in these comics, you see him, you know, with his mom at home. And it was like, oh, okay. Like, you get a glimpse into his his home life. He's, you get to see. Mom's a single parent. Yeah. Working all the time. So it makes, it makes them feel more rounded. Yep. You know, as people, as characters. Um because, yeah, I mean, their high school experience was definitely very interesting. <laughs> yeah, no no kidding. Now, like I said, I, I, my, my main objective here isn't like a, a, a you know, point-by-point point plot breakdown. But big picture here, uh, a lot of the, the first few issues, well, really the entire arc of what we read, but in particular the first few issues really deal with Tommy trying to app- acclimate to being on the team. So this picks up very shortly after Green with Evil. So he has been under yeah. a spell. The spell is broken. He's now the sixth ranger. And, you know, in the show, it's like, man, he's just he's just rolling with the team. You know, there's one of the episodes we talked about last time was uh, Gung Ho, where uh, Tommy and Jason are having a hard time kind of working together and getting on the same page. And it was a cool episode, but it didn't get at any of, you know, the underlying issues between them. It was just sort of like they were butting heads, but you didn't really get insight into why. 
So reading these issues, it was fascinating. You know, you see Tommy dealing with essentially PTSD from being under Rita's spell. He's hallucinating and seeing Rita. He's really having a hard time. He's not following directions in the field. He's clashing with the other Rangers. There's a lot of friction there that the show just wasn't built for. And it was it yeah. was beautiful to see that play out on the page. And those first few issues in particular are really uh, centered around that. Well, what was it? The command Jason's like double down. He's like, I don't know what that means. Yes. He's like, I, I, he's like, you don't take orders. He's like, I don't know what double down means. And which and you're which like, is fair. It's like, I don't know. I wouldn't know either. Like, <laughs> I'd be like, are we playing cards, Jason? Like, Just like whatever I'm doing, and, do twice of it. I don't, like, I don't know. <laughs> in the back of my mind, I kept thinking to myself, this is interesting. If you're looking at the arc that Tommy one day will be the leader of the Power Rangers. Like, yeah. you know, if you're, if this is the trajectory kind of like additional stories that happened and the show's still going to happen, but the idea that Tommy will be the white Ranger and be the leader and like how he's dealing with this right now, his fitting in, um, who he is. Um, so I, you know, I liked that. I liked that he's like, like you said, PTSD of, you know, I was fighting these guys and now I'm one of them. Like, uh, the last episode of Green with Evil, I just remember after they destroyed the, the the sword and they're just like together. And I just remember them talking like, yeah, you're now one of us together. All six range. Like, and they're like, buddy, buddy. And I'm like, okay, as a kid, I'm like, yeah, that's right. Then as an adult, you're kind of like, hold on. Hold on, dude. I don't know you. I don't know who you really are. Uh, how much of that spell, why she chose you. Um yeah, like that's the thing. I think there are a lot of valid questions that, right, as a kid watching it, you don't necessarily think about. But it's like, first of all, you know, just does Tommy slash would Tommy actually want this? You know, he's not even really given much of a choice in the show. It's just like, hey, you're the new ranger. It's like, well, would he necessarily want to go down this path? And yeah, is he a good fit? Because yeah, the fact that Rita chose him, that does bring up a pretty valid counter argument to his being on the team. Like, is there some quality he possesses that made him appealing to Rita that would make him a liability or a threat within the team. You don't know. And the other thing too is, and I was really paying attention to this watching green with evil where there's so little time between Tommy's introduction and him being put under Rita's spell. You don't get to know a lot about who he is, what his character is. There are a few things, right? Like we begin with him and Tommy, him and Jason, uh, fighting in the martial arts competition. And you see, obviously he's a great fighter and also he displays good sportsmanship and then you see the beginnings of a little flirtation with Kimberly and he stands up to her, he stands up for her against Balkan Skull in a brief moment. And that's like all you really get. So it's as enough, I suppose. It's so bare bones, but it's like, okay, he seems like he's a solid guy, but you don't know. And they and I mean, place him on this team. It's just that it's, it's you know, it's that little kid break. Oh, look, he's good. He, he helped Kimberly. Oh, he, him and Jason are going to fight, you know, and you're like, oh, they're going to fight, you know, and that's all we needed. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it's all we needed that Rita puts him under the spell. But, okay, so the issue I found very interesting in this collection is when we hear the story that Rita came to Zach. Man, that I knew you were going to say that because I had the same. I was reading that. I was like, this is awesome. And she basically tries to recruit him and the issue ends whether she's looking at the viewing globe and sees Tommy practicing and decides, Oh, we're going to look after him, look out at him. 
And I'm like, that is, you know, going after actually one of the Rangers. Cause I'm okay. As a kid, I always joked, like, why does she keep attacking right there? Why not attack over here? <laughs> or why not send like five monsters? You know, so each ranger, like I only thought of five, you know, each ranger has to fight one. Not that she could send like a hundred, you know. Um, but why does she send one monster to the same location where the Power Rangers is every time? And then if, at least in the, you know, 2017 movie, they did the subplot of the Zeo crystal was there and that's what she wanted. So it made a little bit more sense of why she was attacking there. Um, but that always just kind of cracked me up. Like, what's her plan, Rita? So the idea that she was trying to infiltrate the Rangers by tempting one of them to break up the team and have her evil Ranger is a really cool idea. Yeah. It's fascinating. And just in terms of strategy, it's like, Oh, this makes total sense, right? Like, of course, if, if you're able to, rather than, you know, plucking some unknown X factor, right. And putting him under a spell, you know, why not potentially turn someone who already knows everything about the Rangers and, you know, what's interesting here is she doesn't put Zach under a spell. You know, she really tries to turn him. And, you know, the, it, it, she initially identifies Zach as a, as a target after a, a battle in, in Italy. Well, talking about them kind of expanding beyond Angel Grove, there's, uh, you know, they're, they're in Italy stopping one of her monsters. And, you know, Zach, like Zach is the one who really, you know, makes the right call and saves the day. But Jason's the one who gets all the glory. Right. And you see, you see Zach kind of feeling that a little bit and Rita preys upon that and tries to exploit that and, and use that, uh, you know, as leverage to, to turn Zach. Obviously Zach doesn't go for it, but yeah, it just, it makes total sense. And what I really did like about that the little button to that issue was then when Zach rejoins the rest of the Rangers, you know, Jason is so quick to be like, Hey man, like, you know, I'm sorry about earlier. Like you, like, you know, we wouldn't have made it out if not for you. You know, he gives Zach the credit, uh, which I thought was a nice little payoff to that. It, it is because you see it in Zach's mind and I'm, and, you know, it's one of those things like now a story to that. If what if the story was flipped where she did recruit Zach and then Zordon had to recruit Tommy as a replacement. So you have the team feeling betrayed. One of their own who knows them is now evil and they have to train this new guy because they can't function without having all five Rangers like that would be a very unique story to tell. Um, so yeah, I'm glad they they kind of went this way. And you know, I, I did want to say for anyone who doesn't know, is like this comic storyline has become so huge and so important. Um, Kyle Higgins did direct like a short film that was like a trailer for this with that actually used uh actors for it. Look it up. And then I don't know if you ever played it, but I bought my kids the Capcom uh, Power Rangers fighting game. It's very much in the Street Fighter style. And in that game, it has characters from the storyline in the game. Uh, not only Lord Draken, but the Black Dragon and the guards that Draken uses. They're all playable suits in that game. It is battle for the morphing grid. So this storyline is very prominent in Power Rangers culture. 
That's very cool. Yeah, I've not played that game. As you know, I'm not a big gamer, but I am very, I'm very intrigued by that. We, I, I might have to do that, and maybe it'll be an episode. So we'll see. It was just a, it's just one of those like it's a fighting game. It's something the kids can play. It's very animated. You know, they have a great time because it's a Power Ranger game. I can just jump in, not having much skill, play. You know, <laughs> and just you know have a good time with them. Gotcha. Let's take a quick commercial break, and then we'll continue making our way through year one. We'll be right back. And we're back. So, you know, one question, and maybe this is, you know, my own ignorance. I missed something. I don't know. But I was curious what your take was on on Tommy's hallucinations of Rita, right? Because throughout those first issues, you know, he's plagued by her and she's playing into all of his doubts and fears and insecurities about his place on on the team and the evil within him that she was able to exploit and, and all of this. There's a scene with Rita in the palace where she's talking about how she's still in tune with the green powers. It's kind of vague. Um, To what extent, if any, did you take it to be that she was actually causing these hallucinations directly or, or indirectly versus he really has PTSD and this is the manifestation of his fear? I, because Rita is always, or, you know, referred to more as like the witch, you know, I kind of always took it that she was actually trying to influence him. Like she didn't know what was going on, but you know, she had that connection because and I'm trying to remember compared to the original story and everything, she stole the green power coin, right? And then corrupted it and made it her own. Or did she create the green power coin? So uh, I'm not positive. I don't know that the show really, did the show ever give us an actual origin for that? Not, I thought Sordon said in an episode that she had stolen it, but I'm not sure because there's different variations and I'm giving my mythologies. Um, I do believe. So one of the things that, cause I've mapped out a lot of this podcast series more than you might expect. <laughs> and uh, I know that he's got this, it done to 2026 people. It's all, mm, about, <laughs> uh, but I know one of the upcoming storylines that we're going to get to in the Go-Go Power Rangers series that was running concurrently with this at a certain point, uh, it gets into the the green coin, the backstory and her role in that. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. But yeah, at this point, I, I couldn't answer that really. So we'll say, you know, she, she stole it. She tried to make her own ranger. Um, she definitely, because she uses the candle and like the process she goes of making Tommy and her magic and the brainwashing, I could definitely see where she would still have connection to that energy. Because even in this storyline, we get to that the green power exists not in its own morphing grid, but like outside the regular standard morphing grid. So that made me think that more like she made her own ranger. And it was connected. So Tommy was the green power was never officially like made by Zordon that it was created by Rita's how I read it in this story, just because of how we get to where they use the green grid, uh, morphing grid um, compared to like the show. Right. So I, I could see that she's actually still in Tommy's mind because she made some sort of connection with her and imprinted on him. Um, I think there's even more stories to mind with the idea of like Tommy's relationship with his mom and what Rita looked at maybe as a motherly figure for him. Like if they went back and, you know, Higgins had written like his own version of the green with evil story 
And we, I think we get some of that later, um, in a way, but there's a lot more depth to these characters and Tommy, especially dealing with the fact that these are his teammates that he hurt that he, and he doesn't feel like he's living up to their expectations. And then you can kind of feel that Jason in a way feels threatened by Tommy. Um, Cause let's just, you know, Tommy's got his own sword. He's got a cool shield. He has the dragon dagger, which is awesome. Um, so there always is this kind of sense that this new guy is better than us that you can kind of see and sense uh, in this story. Uh, no, I mean, absolutely. And I, I like what you said. I, I think that's kind of the reading that I would ultimately subscribe to. I don't know exactly what was intended, but some sort of, of combination, right? Where Rita is, is influencing Tommy, but I guess maybe that the form that it takes or the specific words maybe are a manifestation of what Tommy's going through. Cause I, I wouldn't like the idea that this is all just like Rita just, you know, speaking into his, into his mind. Right. Mm -hmm. I like the idea that some of this is coming from Tommy because I I wish in the show that you had seen any instance of Tommy resisting or, or any sense of what kind, what was going on in Tommy's head while he was under the spell. And so that's like what I say, one of those, those things like, ah, you know, questions or, or, or desires watching the show. And then to see a version of that play out in the comics where it's like, now you do get to go inside his head and you do get to see that tension. And, and it's, it is very interesting. It could be even the sense of like, uh, what do you call it? Repressed memories of like him remembering something Rita said or they did and what his mind at the time wishes it could have said or done compared to just being, you know, complicit with what she was saying. And, you know, in the story, I kind of get the idea that maybe Rita is trying to win him back. Like if he came back of his own free will, that could make him more powerful than ha- her, him having to be under a spell. Like he just, you know, submits to her and getting to the point where he is worthless without her. He only has value value because we do get Scorpina in this story. Like, and Scorpina played a role in the uh, green with evil storyline. Yes. And, you know, going back to, you know, what Jason might be feeling during all of this, there's a great uh, moment with Zach and Jason, where I think it's Jason who says to Zach, you know, does it bother you that Zordon, you know, invited Tommy to be part of the team without talking to us? And it's a very valid question, you know, if you really want to get into like the nuts and bolts of, of the team dynamic here. And, you know, they're a well-oiled machine at this point, you know, 18 episodes or so in, into the show. <clears throat> but, you know, to now add this this the sixth member, again, after everything that they've just gone through. And yeah, to your point, it's not just it's not just a sixth ranger. It's a sixth ranger who is highly capable and and has these enhanced abilities and 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 you know weapons and the dagger and all of that. But one thing that I like that's really cool about this is, you know, look, as kids, we all love the Green Ranger. We still do. Uh, and he's so cool. And you know, in the show, again, like he jumps right into the team and he's and he's and he's there. He's doing what 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 we know he does. But what was cool about this, I thought, was that like you get to see it wasn't always so easy for him, right? And the the ranger who is just like ultra capable, you you get to see the the fallibility of him. So it it works on a lot of levels. Let me ask you this. I think we talked about it a little bit, but how did you feel when he morphed that he said dragon sword and not like dragon? Like why did he say dragon sword? 
Like they didn't say, you know, Tyrannosaurus sword or Dino Tyranno. You know, it was Tyrannosaurus. Why isn't he just like dragon or even I'll even take green dragon because later he's white tiger. Right. You know, like it always bugged me that he was like dragon sword. Because like, everything why? about him has to be a little bit apart from the rest of the Rangers. You know, like, I mean, just I remember when they had the first time he morphed and it was gold, you know, for the morpher, like compared to being the silver. I was like, that's sweet, you know, um, but that always just bugged me. I don't know why. No, I get it. I mean, as a kid, I don't know that I really thought about it. But yeah, now I definitely clock it. But yeah, I don't know. It's just like another instance of how he kind of stands apart from <laughs> the rest of the Rangers. He's got the shield. He's got his own, you know, his own Megazord, so to speak. And uh, I mean, even it, the way he calls he calls his morph is different. It's, it's true. You know? So again, that, that tension, uh, the internal tension with Tommy as he's having these hallucinations and... Uh, the tension between Tommy and the rest of the team is, is a driving force in these issues, especially in the beginning. Uh, as we move deeper into the story, Rita forges this alliance with the Black Dragon uh, to take down the Rangers. And there's this plot to open up a portal, right? And essentially every time the Green Rangers in battle, he's, he's creating this green chaos energy, which is fueling this crystal, which will ultimately open this portal and the Black Dragon will emerge on our world. And... You know, as we get deeper into the story, the the Rangers are really uh, in dire straits. They they're cut off from the Morphin Grid. Uh, they have to retreat into their pocket dimension. Uh, later, Tommy and Billy are uh, transported to the world of the Black Dragon, and that's mm-hmm. where we get. You know, I guess the well at the time the big reveal. You know, now we're reading this years later, and and we know. Uh, I imagine it was probably pretty cool at the time. Maybe people called it. I don't know. But uh, we're on this alternate reality in this alternate reality where. After the spell was broken, Tommy decided to stay with Rita, right? Yeah. And ultimately becomes the person who was controlling the Black Dragon, Lord Draken. The combination of the green and white ranger. Yeah. That was always very interesting that we saw this. And first time I saw like Lord Draken, I didn't realize he was bad. I just I thought it was a storyline, like, oh. Or Tommy blended his two powers or something. Because one of the biggest storylines in the show was always, I think that, that's reinforced with the Green Ranger always being connected to Rita, the green chaos energy, the fact that Rita strips the power. And you know, we have the storylines later where the green power is failing Tommy. He's always losing it. Um, till eventually he loses his power and, you know, disappears from the show. So that just, plays into the fact that Rita, you know, has the green power. But so I saw Draken, I was like, oh, did he just blend the two powers? And then technically, yes, that's what he did. Um, but he was evil. Like he was he used that to basically ins- he became the most powerful ranger and used that to enslave. And it was uh it was cool because like we, you know, everything that we kind of said about what if Tommy had done this? That's the storyline we we see with Lord Dragon. Yeah, I mean, I think what's what was an especially interesting choice with all of this is, you know, it, Lord Dragon could have been a version of Tommy who never broke free from the spell, right? We, we could have had a version where that, that just continued on. But the fact that the spell was broken and he actively made this choice, you know, adds a whole other dimension to it. And by the time we get to the end of issue 12, our reading assignment for this episode, 
know, Tommy and Billy are still in this alternate reality. We don't have a resolution to that. We'll cover that in the next episode. And I have not read ahead, so I don't know how this all shakes out. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm I, sure uh, it's okay. I had re- I had recently read like the whole arc. So when I was like, I clarified with you, like which ones are we doing? Because I don't want to say too much. But one of my favorite things that happened in this book was like you talked about, they were cut off from the morphing grid and they find a way to tap into the green morphing grid. So they morph into their respected dinosaurs, but they're all green. And I thought that was just an awesome thing that I had never thought of before. Um, you know, you have the green triceratops. So they're able to morph and fight, but they're all green. <laughs> yeah, that was a very cool touch. Uh, as a, as a fan, but even in the context of the story, and you know that's it's a sacrifice that Tommy makes because when he does that, he's not able to morph, right? So he you know he makes the sacrifice for the others, which um, you know so so very powerful. I, I this is not the most important part of what we read, but I don't want to forget about it. Uh, Bulk and skull. I knew I knew that's where you're going because I was like, what what didn't make sense? Oh yeah, okay, yeah. No, so I, I will admit, so I know there were these uh, Bulk and Skull backup stories and the hardcover, I don't know how the trades do it, but the hardcover includes them at the end. So yeah, they are- rem- the, the trade kind of had all of them put towards the end of one book. I will admit I, did, I didn't I did read them. Uh, but of course I read, you know, whenever Bulk and Skull popped up in the main story, which was which was not a lot. And I, is it Kimberly? One of the characters says at one point, like bulk and skull better in small doses. And I can't help but think that that might've been a way of for, for Kyle Higgins to sort of give his, his opinion of the characters. Cause rewatching the episodes as I have been not, not all of them, but the ones that we've talked about they, as an adult, I do find them particularly grating in, in a way that I didn't as a kid, but yeah. rewatching them, it's like a little bit of them, goes a long way. And so I appreciated how sparingly they were used. And look, for you and me as podcasters, I very much like the idea and appreciated the idea of them being these Power Rangers podcasters. And, you know, talking about setting the show in the modern day, that was actually one of the things I wanted to ask you because I felt like I felt like it was a good choice, right? Because it, you know, makes it feel modern and contemporary. But at the same time, it, it, it's not like it so changes the stories, right? Because, you know, it's like now it, Bulk and Skull have a podcast and everyone's on their cell phones. But, you know, on the show, we were already dealing with advanced technology. So it, it's, I mean, it didn't feel they like they had it cameras everything. at times where they're trying to videotape and find out who the Rangers were. And, right. I, you know, as Superman fans, I look at it kind of like Superman Returns is supposed to be this sequel to Superman 2. Well, you know, all of a sudden we get to Superman Returns and they got cell phones out. And the text a little bit more, but this, there's still the story that you can follow and you're not so disjointed from what, from what it's supposed to be. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, okay. So season two of, of mighty Morphin is where bulk and skull decide that they want to find out who the power Rangers are. Right. You know, the biggest clue that these six kids hang out wearing solid one color of the Rangers isn't big enough, but you know, whatever. <laughs> And I feel like that's when Bulk and Skull had a little bit more of a purpose yes. in the storyline compared to before they were just the bullies and just there for hijinks and everything. Uh, I told you about my friend in third grade. He loved Power Rangers, the show, but his favorite character was Skull. He enjoyed watching it and watched, you know, for Skull. And I was like, really? Like, okay. Um, sure. Yeah, to, to each his own. But uh yeah, I think you're right. I think that 
Yeah, that period of time on the show when they were trying to figure out the Rangers' identities, I think that was probably the sweet spot because initially when they're just the bullies, that only goes so far. And then I think my frustration grew in later seasons where they really had their own separate storyline, like especially yeah, when they, they were, you know, they tried to be police, police officers, officers and, and then they were de- private detectives. It just felt like they had their own show within the show and I didn't care for it. So I think when they're trying to figure out who the Rangers are, I think that is, I think that's the sweet spot for those characters. It would have been, I mean, as a writer, like if you would have done something where maybe down the line, Skull or Bulk became a Ranger, but they had <laughs> earned, like they had earned a spot. Like you have this arc with their story where like, maybe it's like a temporary thing, kind of like how in Turbo they got the kid, you know, for a short period of time, something where maybe they did something like that, you know, um, or, you know, they made them mechanics who worked on the Zords or something like that. Like they something had some they, sort of they, supporting they came, role in the action. They went from being the antagonist bullies to growing up and maturing and actually becoming something um, kind of like a Flash Thompson. You know, where Flash Thompson hated on Peter, hated on Peter, but loved Spider-Man. And then when he finds out that Peter is Spider-Man, his whole world is, is you know, destroyed to the core to where it causes him to wake up and look at himself as who he is. And become a better person, you know, because, you know, he's tries to become a better person because of Spider-Man. But then when he finds out that the kid that he bullied is his hero, that changes everything about him. So in the sense, if the writers had done something where Bulk and Skull started to matter, instead of just like you said, create this whole side show, basically, it's like they had, all right, we don't have the budget for Rangers. We'll do... 15 minutes of Power Rangers, 15 minutes of every episode with Bulk and Skull. That'll stretch out our season, you know? So I I just think, you know, I mean, even look at the Power Rangers movie where Bulk and Skull actually try to help those kids, you know, save from Ivan Ooze. They actually do something. They get in the action and actually help instead of just being these antagonists. Um, But that's side tangent there. But yeah, I, I too did not read the backups because I found them annoying. <laughs> the, 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 the art changed the story and I didn't, and their characters I didn't care about that meant nothing. Gotcha. The way, the way the backups were done in these books. I was like, I want to read more about Billy and Tommy. What, what are they up to? Yes. Because I like seeing Billy when they go like into the Zords, like, and you see the, where the Zords are and like, they're opening the doors to get in the Zords and stuff that you know, all we ever see is the Rangers jump up and then they're in a room and the, or they get hit and they fall out. You know, we never see where the Zords retreat to, where they're stored, how they work on the Zords. Well, that's the you thing, know. because watching the show, like whenever they call the Zords, they're always emerging from what would be the dinosaurs natural habitat. And it's like, this doesn't seem to make sense. So, but the idea of them sort of in the quote unquote, like a garage type storage facility you know make make sense like the bat cave right yeah that makes i mean you know it's one of those things you don't think of as a kid like wow the t-rex is coming from a volcano and like the mastodons come like are they coming from all around the world you know or is it all just there in angel grove because i mean if you think about it you're in angel grove and then all of a sudden they morph and they're like an industrial warehouse yes back alley of businesses and you're like okay that's where they like to fight abandoned warehouses. Okay. You know, it's either on a playground fighting putties or, you know, morphed and fighting an abandoned warehouse. 
Yeah, I mean, I would love to see just a, a you know a, a layout, a, you know, of, of Angel Grove. Show like me from how an urban, Angel Grove urban works. planning. Yeah, Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina, for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its fortieth year, this multiple time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back issue selection, as the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Oh yeah, Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join Aw Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow Aw Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Aw Yeah. It works in, its, in this weird way where it's like, no matter where as a viewer, like no matter where you live, you, you can see some, like some version of it is reflected in some part of Angel Grove. So yep. in, in, its, in its own way, like it kind of works. Like you live in a city. Yep. They've got the <laughs> industrial area. You live in the suburbs. Well, we have that too. It's, it's, uh, you it, like it to hang out after school on the playground at recess. We got that too. Yeah. So I want to talk more and, and not, not, you know, we still have, you know, we have, we have time. I don't want to, I don't want to make this like a lightning round sort of thing, but in terms of, you know, uh, you know, again, big developments or even just on a, on a more uh, character based level here. Um, there were a few things that stood out to me. Some, you know, some small, some large, once little, little moment, uh, between Jason and Kimberly when like Jason's been teaching his karate class to the, to the kids. And then like the, uh, I guess the karate, the owner of the karate studio uh, talks to Jason about potentially bringing in Tommy to, to like co-teach the class. And, you know, Jason kind of bristles at that a little bit. Uh, but then, you know, Kimberly's talking to Jason about how she's supposed to get coffee with Tommy, but he wanted to stay at the command center and, you know, run simulations and run the Kobayashi Maru. Yeah. And then, you know, Jason's like, well, I could use some caffeine. And, you know, as they're talking about it, 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 my sense was like, it seemed like maybe they're, maybe we could be heading into a little bit of a love triangle territory, you know, like Jason's reaction. I mean, again, it's very, there's not a ton there, but you know, it seemed like he had some sort of reaction to this discussion of the relationship between, uh, you know, Tommy and Kimberly and the fact that he's so quick to, to kind of step in, in that moment, I was like, Oh, I wonder if this is something we'll see play out down the line. Or, I mean, or it could have been something in the sense of Tommy's taking everything away from Jason, the spotlight of the Rangers, you know, his career. So Jason's jumping on the opportunity to maybe steal some of Tommy's thunder. Like, you know, Oh, I like ego, that. I you like know, that. Ego, I mean, I don't know, like in the series, if they ever planned it, but in the 2017 movie, they did have a a, a storyline about Kimberly and Jason that they cut from the film. Like, you know, a lot of more, I guess, had happened, and they cut it from the film. So I don't know if there was ever any plans in the original series to have this relationship with Kim and Jason, and it just never, you know, came to fruition. And they decided to kind of like, you know, Tommy and Kimberly always had this like relationship courtship flirtation but they never were like 
really seem like really serious. I don't know. It was weird. Okay. Yeah. You know. Well, it was always, you know, it was always ex- exceedingly chaste, but they did, I mean, they did kiss, uh, but yeah, you never, you never, I mean, I, to my recollection and I, I, you know, I'll correct that if needed as I, as I rewatch episodes, but yeah, I don't, I don't recall ever seeing them like truly as a couple. Yeah. It was always kind of flirted at him. Like Tommy and I are going to go do this or going to go like a date, but it just, it never really cemented it was always like that early when you're trying to figure out the relationship are we friends are we not it never seemed like it actually became that so yeah i i found that with like you said with jason just you know the idea that jason was he was the number he was number one man like he was everything now this new guy is taking it all away from him you know it's it's an interesting stance of how do you as the leader of this team step up? Like, where do you go? Do you recognize in yourself what's needed of you? Or do you kind of retreat in and lash back out? It's well, that's the thing. And look, I, I don't want to belabor this because I said this now in both episodes that we've done already, but you know, rewatching green with evil. And I, I think I'm in the minority on this because you know, as much as I recognize it's, you know, it introduces Tommy, it's Tommy's story, but I do look at green with evil as more of a Jason storyline. Cause I feel like Jason is the one, you know, Tommy's under the spell the whole time. Uh, Jason's the one who really rallies the team. Jason's the one who fights Goldar powerless in the, in the dark dimension. Like Jason's yep. the one who, who ultimately is able to break the spell. Like Jason's the one who has everything to do to your point though, about him being, a, a or what kind of leader is he going to be? It's interesting. Cause after that whole double down business that we talked about before, uh, you know, Zordon chastises both of them in the command center. He's like, Jason, like as team leader, it's your responsibility to make sure people know what the instructions are. And Tommy, as new member, it's your job to ask questions if you don't know. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, well, Zordon, what's your job? (laughs) Yeah, like I'm Zordon. I gave him the power. Yeah. And well, but that's the thing as far as, you know, what's Jason's role? What's Jason's responsibility in this context? Because it's like, yeah, as team leader, he should make sure that everyone's on the same page out there in the field. But at counterpoint in Jason's defense, it's like, well, as team leader, he wasn't consulted about whether or not they need a sixth member and whether or not it should be this person. So it, it is a lot. It's a lot to thrust on him. I love your take, though. Uh, I'm mean, really getting to the psychology of Jason Scott, but I love your take that it's not even necessarily that it's like, oh, he has feelings for Kimberly, but sort of like, again, Tommy has taken so much, has stolen so much of his thunder. And even if it's subconscious, like even if he, I don't know that, I don't think Jason's yeah. that calculating, but just subconsciously that it's like, you know, he can kind of get a little bit of that back. Uh, that's fascinating. They're still teenagers. Yeah. They're still, they're still kids with attitude. I, I, don't forget. Listen, yeah. man, don't forget they're teenagers with attitude. And, you know, <laughs> I think about like, I work with teenagers every day, you know, I'm, I'm walking around with kids who are 15, 16, 17 year old. And you think about that in context of like the pressure these, you know, teenagers are under, um, the, what this means because like when you're a kid it's more like about that wish fulfillment like yeah teenager superheroes with the power but then as an adult you look at like what does that actually do to the kids um you know i'm sitting here i'm scrolling through because i got i got the books digitally here um one thing that i liked was this story made rita feel scary yes like in the show she's so like oh yeah they killed my monster you know Ooh, you know the whiny i can't even do it right I, cut that out that's horrible 
Um, no, no, no. It's but, all, no, it's good. But I know I get I get exactly what you're saying. And, and this, she feels creepy. She feels evil. She has a sense of of scariness to her that is really needed for the character. And you see her interacting. You know, again, like we like we talked about the flashback sequence where you see her, uh, you know, uh, trying to tempt Zach, right? Like getting to see her interact with the Rangers generally. And especially in their civilian identities, was very welcome. I just I want to I want to circle back for just a second to what you were saying before about this whole you know mother aspect. And part of me wonders if you know again in in these comics it you know we see Tommy again with you know what appears to be a, a single mom, and you know part of me wonders if you know might it have made more sense for Tommy to live with his dad for example, and and either his mother has has passed or has left or is otherwise out of the picture. And now Rita is is really, you know, twisting with his mind and emotions because, you know, he he doesn't have his mom for whatever reason. And, you know, she's, you know, sort of trying to, um, uh, you know, occupy that space and have that type of influence on him. I feel like that could have been an interesting angle had they chosen to explore that. I, I agree. I mean, I think having Rita kind of slip in there to be the mom that he doesn't have. But at the same time, using he has a mom, but she's not there, but Rita is. It works, too. Um, we haven't even touched on my, my man here and his odd couple pet pairing that we got. Oh, my God. Billy and Goldar in that yes. dark dimension. You knew exactly where I was going. I to. knew where you were going, man. I'm with you. I loved it. I loved it. I, I loved, loved it, it I loved because it. it it made Goldar a little bit more of a character that you understood. Because let's look at Goldar in line with Jason. Tommy came in and took everything from Goldar as far as on, Rita, on Rita's side. You know, Goldar failed actually stopping Jason. Tommy became Rita's favorite. You know, he didn't do what he did. So here Goldar is being punished and he's lost everything that meant something to him. So here's another character that is lost and is devastated in Tommy's shadow. I loved, I love that pairing. And I, you know, I had the same thought because you watch the show and Goldar, I mean, look, all of the minions are, are very heightened and, and they're caricatures and, and you, you, there's not, I was going to say not much. There's, there's really no nuance when it comes to them, but you know, here, yeah, you get to see what sort of space Goldar occupies in this organization and, and you do get more of the dynamics, right? And and just like the the idea that they're they're you know Billy is sent to the Black Dragon sends you know takes Billy's morpher and that's what he's able to use to cut off the rest of the Rangers from the pot, from the Morphin Grid, and Billy is in prison in the Dark Dimension where he finds Goldar, who has also been in prison as punishment for his failure during the Green with Evil storyline, and the fact that the two of them are able to find common ground. And that Goldar actually helps, allows Billy to escape because Goldar realizes, well, if the Black Dragon, this new ally, uh, Rita's new go-to person is done away with, well, then that opens up a lane for me to return. And it's, yeah, like the Goldar on the show, I would, I could never, I could never really imagine. I don't know. On the one hand, this almost goes against my argument where this feels like it's in the world of the show. Cause I, I really couldn't see our Goldar doing this, but I'm on board with this because it just, it's this whole other component here. And it just, and it also speaks volumes about Billy's ability to 
negotiate slash manipulate slash you, you know, really use his mind. It, oh man, it was, I don't know. Other, I really love the idea of Zach being tempted. You know, the fact that she tried to turn Zach, but this is right up there with it as far as like really great touches. I'm, I think, you know, with the, the book hooks you with feeling like it's in that world. And then a little bit layers to where you've accepted these characters in that world part of the show so that when you get to this it's not so in left field yeah you can kind of say see where those characters have come from and what they're doing um another thing that i like is when later on it's in the i don't know how yours is collected but in the third trade how we kind of got like a flashback issue oh, of with billy? billy like training and being you know um you know kind of trying to figure himself out because you know billy was always the character that was more there for his brain and he didn't know how to fight or anything outside of being morphed that he had to learn on his own that aspect where everyone else was like you know a gymnast or a martial artist um and billy was none of that you know until he morphed and then you know part of his arc was learning to actually fight later on um so i, I like that kind of throw like you know kind of throwback ish issue and that's when we get more into um when it's it's after him and tommy get transported to the other world and then i like that they have the i can't remember the term but like the guards that draken uses we meet the mastodon like yes. guard yeah and they look like the the 95 movie outfits with right. a little bit a little bit more padding and stuff but um they look like the movie and i always you know we talked about the movie it being like that was the one thing that was like americanized power rangers it was off in its own pocket universe away from the series so i like how we're kind of bringing that into the fold and um, I also like that we meet, we haven't even got there. There's, there's so much in this that we could talk forever, but who is Lord Draken's biggest adversary? The one person that's opposing him, that's kind of laid dormant that he's hunted. We find is Saba. Yeah, that was great. And I was not expecting that, right? Cause Billy and Tommy, they're, uh, you know, they're at the remains of the command center. They hear this voice and I'm like, oh, who's this going to be? And yeah, it's Saba and Saba calls forth the, uh, the tiger Zord to help make an escape. And then they escape in the Falcon Zord. Yes. I was like, this is, this is just like power ranger, you know, like, and it's all, it's not too far out, you know, going crazy, but it's right there in that, you know, mighty morphin error. So they're not like going after the Zeo. They're not going at like, they're staying right there with, you know, uh, when they still had the core powers and everything. So it works really nice. It does, man. And even when we get the backstory, when Saba explains how Lord Draken rose to power and how, you know, the the Rangers and Zordon made this last ditch ep- effort to create the white light and imbue it, uh, imbue it uh, within Jason, right? The natural leader of the team, right? He would get the white light and... Tommy uh, interrupted the process and usurped the power for himself and seemingly killed Jason in the process. He just comes out with Jason's helmet uh, and his, you know, the Lord Draken costume that we all know, which has this combination of the green and the white. Uh, But yeah, like, I mean, it all feels 
you know, in, in keeping with with what we know, like that's the thing. It's it's this, you know, fan fiction esque, you know, wish fulfillment of like all the cool things that you would see blended together. But it really all tracks within the context of the story. And just for a second, I want to jump back to Billy because that flashback issue. Uh, it was, it took like, you know, I'll be honest, as I was reading it, I was like, oh, the whole issue is a flashback because we were getting it. We were at a really interesting point in the story and it's like, oh, okay. That's like, the point to be like, ha ha, like, <laughs> surprise, yeah, gotta I wait know. another month. But it, you know, it definitely sheds light on his character and the idea that he stays morphed all the time underneath his clothes, uh, I thought was a really interesting touch. And it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Like he's the one without the natural fighting ability. Like you said, he'll cultivate it later on in the show, but he's not really there yet. And so he would want There's that. There's an air that, of fear yeah. in him. And understandably, you know, putties are coming at them all the time on the playground. Yeah, I mean, for real, he can't even walk to, to the juice bar. Um, you know, and in a way, it would have been interesting if you would have had these kind of temptational scenes where Rita almost kind of came to each one of the rangers with like their weakness and kind of pitch to like fulfill them um, instead of just Zach. Like I love the just Zach angle. Like it, it works, but could you imagine if like, if Rita had come to Billy or if Rita had come to Trini and like, what is like her in with them to kind of pull them out to try to see if she can break them. That, that would have been interesting. You know, part of me wishes that 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 the Zach Rita issue, you know, maybe that had been sort of condensed and you had gotten even just flashes of uh, of this happening with some of the others. But I will say, like, if you were going to try to turn one person, Zach makes sense in a lot of ways because he is he is like number two. he is the number two. And I, I that was something that I either I had forgotten or had never really dawned on me. But in rewatching a lot of these episodes, it's like when, for example, when Jason's in the dark dimension fighting Goldar and green with evil. Like Zach's the one who calls the morph, right? Like he's the one who steps up. Um, so, you know, Jason seems a bit incorruptible, but you know, Zach as the second in command and especially the, the issue that we talked about where he's overshadowed by, um, you know, by Jason and, uh, you know, but, but he is number two. He's got this, this position. He has this ability, right? You know, Billy's a great mind, but he doesn't have the fighting ability. He doesn't have like the killer instinct, uh, that Rita would be looking for. So yeah, Jason, Jason makes the most sense. I think. Yeah. I mean, because in a sense, like it's kind of like that joke in the suicide squad where Amanda Waller's going around gathering her team and she gets, you know, peacemaker. And he's like, what does he do? And she's like, assassin this and blood sports. Like, Oh, so he does exactly what I do. And peacemaker's like, yeah, but I do it better. And like, they have this whole, you know, competition. It's kind of like that where Zach does what Jason does. He's a fighter. He's a leader. He's a skilled martial artist, but he's not the poster boy. He's not the one out front. So he's kind of always a little bit in Jason's shadow. And it's like, he's never enough to take over. He's, you know, he's the number two, but he's almost like a copy. Like he's trying to carve out who he is. So for Rita to come to him, like, this is your chance to step out makes the most sense out of any other ranger. Cause like you said, Billy's the brain, like the team really can't function without Billy. How many times in this do they rely on Billy's skills for the morphing grid to work on the Zords? He builds the communicators. Um, like even my Apple watch, which I don't have on right now, my ringtone on it is the, the power Rangers, you know, DT and like, it'll go off and I'll just be like, we raise you Zordon. Or I'll tell my wife, like, Zordon's calm. We got to go. 
you know? So it's like Billy is, you know, like that. And then Trini and Kimberly both bring a certain aesthetic to who they are to the team. And Zach, you know, he's always, he's doing his hip hop keto, but at the same time, you know, Jason's the one that everybody champions and everybody worships. And I get it. I get why he would be the one that Rita would go after. You know, you mentioned how, uh, you know, the the team is often lost uh, in terms of tech, tech or strategy without Billy. And you, one of the things that I did enjoy a lot about this, you know, we haven't really talked about Trini much, but I really enjoyed how she had to step up when Billy was uh, taken away. I felt like they really clobbered us over the head with her insecurity over not having Billy there. It was, I didn't keep a tally, but there were like a lot of instances where she's like, oh, Billy would know what to do. If only Billy were here. Oh, I wish Billy were here. It's like, all right, we get it. But I liked how she stepped up. And I, I really did like, again, another thing that I'm sort of remembering as I'm rewatching episodes is, is, you know, they were the thinkers of the team, Billy and Trini, and they had a lot of scenes together. And here in the comic, I mean, I, again, I don't know what's, what's to come in, in upcoming storylines, but it definitely feels like they're, you know, we talked about potential romance uh, among some of the other characters. It definitely feels like Billy and Trini are, uh, are simpatico in a lot of ways. And I, and I like their interaction. I, I say that, but also I'm also a champion for showing a good, healthy friendship between men and sure, women. Sure, sure. You know, and I love that that's what we get with Billy and Trini, you know, without uh, anything underlining. And like you said, Trini, it, it's interesting because like, you know, Trini was a very good, skilled fighter and gymnast. And it was like everyone always had to kind of take care of Billy. And Billy was always like, oh, if they were here, they could do this. Now it's like, we they're relying on Billy. They need him. And Trini's like, okay, what would Billy do? What would Billy do? And she's number two of like the thinker team, you know? So she has to step up and who and what she's capable of. I, it's great writing that this is, I feel like, you know, some comics you can read and you read an issue and you're like, yeah, it was good. But like, if you ask me what happened, I'm kind of like, I don't know. I'm not going to say any certain writers. Okay. I'm not throwing that out, but there's certain writers that you feel you got to read like six issues to actually have a story to tell because it's so little by little by little that if you reviewed the individual issues, there's not much to say. I feel the exact opposite with these. I feel that you and I could almost go page by page of these books and dive into these characters and bring out what's going on and discuss more of these characters coming to life and coming into their own and really defining who they are as individuals. And it, it, these books reignited like my love for power Rangers. And I, this book series would be a great animated movie. I was just thinking that I was going to ask you, I was like, how much would you love to see this in animated form? I, I would. I think it would be great because it'd be the best way to bring these characters back. You know, even if you could get the voice, the actual actors to do the voices, you know, to come back and voice would be amazing because there is a love still for the core Mighty Morphin because you don't see people like really reaching out for like the other series. And, you know, I'll say this, like Adam was actually became my second favorite Power Ranger. When he showed up, I actually really liked his character. Um, so, you know, and he's still part of that Mighty Morphin 
saga. But after that, like the other Rangers, you don't really see the love. And I mean, maybe for like a kid who grows up with like a certain thing, but from just, you know, us who started with Power Rangers, we don't obsess over, you know, Andros <laughs> or any of them, you know, but the core Mighty Morphin, that's the story that we love. That's Power Rangers. Um, so to do this in another form would be awesome to see. Yes. No, I, I, would, to, I would totally be there for that. Talking to you, Hasbro. Yeah, right. So listen, what haven't we talked about yet in, in year one of, of the comic series that you would like to? You know, I, I, I'm sitting here and as we were talking, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm flipping through it because I have them all digitally here. Not by choice, but that's what was I was able to do. Um, so I think we, we've hit most everything because I feel like where this ends is the introduction to Draken, and the next is the, really the story with him and what happens. And we get teased at the end, like you said, with the Saba and the Falcon Zord, but the next part is really where everything comes more to fruition and really dives in. So this laid the groundwork to, to blend from the series into this boom world, the boom studios version. And now we're hooked and we're ready to take this, you know, alternate earth ride with, with, with Billy and Tommy. So, yeah, man, no, well said. I, I, uh, I'm very excited to continue reading our next episode. We'll cover the next year of the, the mighty Morphin uh, boom series. The I guess the, the last thing that uh, I wanted to mention that I really appreciated about this was, you know, I guess between, you know, like the, the bulk and skull podcast and, you know, uh, spending a little bit more time with the parents, at least Tommy's mother uh, and the various news reports and things like that. It, it, you got, more of a sense of the world's reaction to and impressions of the goings on in Angel Grove. Cause you watch the show and it feels so insular. insular. Yeah. It just feels like it's, it's happening here. The people of Angel Grove don't seem too phased by it. You don't get much of a sense of what the rest of the world thinks about it. So this just put everything in, in some context here, you know, and as, you know, as comic book fans, you know, as we are, it, it you know, call to mind, like we're in this, this universe here and it's like, yeah, most of the stuff is happening in Angel Grove, but there's a larger context here. I really, I really like that aspect of it too. I, I mean, I did because I like how they're getting asked about the Green Ranger and they're like, you know, they say like, he's one of us. Now everyone deserves a second chance. Um, and you see them in San Francisco. And it made me think like, you know, they have the Megazord standing in the water fighting. It made me think like Pacific Rim, like out there fighting, you know, like what would that be like to just be on the bridge and all of a sudden cause they show the Dragonsword under the water and like a boat going across the top to just all of a sudden the Dragonsword just comes up out of the water like Godzilla, you know, and you're just like in this boat in the water. Like that to me, like just thinking about movies that we've had like Pacific Rim. And stuff, and then think about if you could do that with a Power Rangers movie, like the Zords fighting like that, to where there's this very 
real feel to it. Um, it, it just how how would you feel like living now in this world where there's these Power Rangers? Like, it's it's it it raises a lot of questions, you know. Well, and when they do the man on the street interviews, I, I think it's Bulk and Skull, or maybe it's just the news. I one of the it's two. both. I think they do a little bit of both because that's kind of what the energy that Bulk and Skull is trying to to grab, right? But you know, they they talk to people about the Green Ranger, and you, know, you get these these sound bites from people who are like, yeah, like. You know, he was fighting the Rangers last week and now they're on the same side. I don't know what to think about it. And it's, that's the thing, you know, and this is not explored in the show, but you know, it's like, yeah, if people are watching these news reports, you know, the green Ranger is fighting our, our heroes, right? This dragon Zord is tearing up the industrial district. And now all of a sudden they're fighting side by side. It's like, what happened? Yeah. You know, and yeah. we, listen, we can't go without talking about the fact that the dragon Zord flies in space. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I knew there was something we were forgetting. Oh. I was like, oh, yeah. And like they jump to through. Um, I mean, they do have helmets with their mouths. But, I mean, you know, it wasn't until season two that they started taking the helmets off. You know, um, but yeah, the dragons were flying in space. I was like, sure. I know. Why so not? Jason and Tommy. Take I mean, it we to space we saw the, the Megazord in the movie fly in space when they fought. You know, Ivanus and so and the didn't the the red dragon sword go to the moon to read his base at one point to fight oh. with Lord Zed's uh sword, I think. Maybe. So maybe it wasn't that groundbreaking, but in the moment as I it's was reading the, it, I was like, It's oh, not the it's groundbreaking cool. of the concept, but the fact that it was the actual dragon sword doing it, that's yes. where you're like, Yeah. Yeah. I was you're like, All right, man. Bust out the flute and play us a tune, you know? Summon the dragon sword. Is there, I know you and I have talked about how cool the music was on the show and how much it added to the proceedings. I could have easily checked this beforehand, but I forgot and I didn't. Is the soundtrack available somewhere? Cause I was going to ask, like, did you listen to the music while you were reading? I did not obviously, but I feel like that would have Dude, been- I don't have to listen to the music. It's ingrained in the brain. <laughs> um, so I know that the original soundtrack is not like on a streaming service, but Ron Wasserman, uh, back in early 2010, I think it was, he put out what he called like Power Rangers Redo, where he went back and re-recorded all the songs. I got that on Apple Music, um, uh, so it's probably on any other type, you know, streaming, Spotify, or anything. It's great. Um, I have all the songs. So if you need, I'll throw it in Google Drive and send it your way. Um, because the original Power Rangers album had sound bites. Um, there's a great interview. I think I might've sent to you with Ron talking about when they were going to put the album out. It just sounded like a rock album. So they're like, we can't just put out this rock album. So they had to like add sound bites from the show in the songs to make, you know, so like you hear like them fighting putties or like you hear little things beforehand um, to make it feel like the show compared to just being these, you know, songs. So you know, in the in as I'm reading, I hear the music because I grew up with that. Like, I, I loved all those songs. Um, did I flip and kick around? You know, yes. Do I still jump up and punch things? You know, listen to the songs? Maybe, maybe. But I'm a, I'm a little bit bigger now. It's all right, man. You gotta gotta keep it going. I had so much fun reading uh, the comics, of course, but especially having this conversation. So, uh, Tyler, thank you so much for uh, for coming on this on this ride with me. And 
Uh, I know Krypton Report available on all major podcast platforms. What uh, what would you like to tell folks about your podcast? Oh well, you know I, I do a Superman podcast too, much like Anthony. But you know we do different things um, on our on our show, and we're all over the place just with with Superman things. And also, I have a Patreon. It's a dollar a month. We have different mini shows that we do on there. Um, we're going to be diving more into Supernatural, the series. That kind of got put on hold just because I had some people lined up to guests who kind of backed out and it just kind of made it, you know, inflated. Uh, so we got a little behind, but, you know, with the Winchesters coming up, we're going to kind of run on parallel and talk about that. Um, but yeah, you check it out. It's um, it's a good time and reach out to us on uh, all social media. Yeah, folks, please do. Uh, you know, I uh, if you're a Superman fan to to any extent, uh, you know, Tyler, you and your crew. I mean, you you cover so much, and you're always on top of you know what's going on. Like that's one thing you talk about how we do different things. Like that's one of the things I don't do. Right? Like I'm not so much about like current events, so to speak, in in the Superman world and breaking news and things like that. And uh, that's not the only thing you do, but that's one of the things. And it's it's cool because you really feel like you're uh, you're staying up to date with what's going on uh, in, in the world. I have no life. <laughs> yeah, I do, but, uh, like, but yeah, it's, uh, it's cool. Right on. Well, I hope everyone will check out Krypton Report. Again, Tyler, thank you for taking part in this. Audience, thank you for joining me. As always, I really, truly appreciate it. And like I said, next time we will cover year two of the Boom Studios Mighty Morphin Power Rangers series. Until then, once a Ranger fan, always a Ranger fan. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network. Home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all.